everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on this fabulous weekend here in Washington. It's cold enough for penguins to be walking through the front yard. But we have a great show that will warm things up. Uh, first, of course, we're going to be joined by Deb Moser, the famous Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets. <laughs> will tell us what's happening there. Uh, Leanne Brown is somebody whose bio amazed me, and she amazed the food world uh, uh, not long ago when her self-published cookbook, Good and Cheap, Eat Well on $4 a Day, it took off like a rocket and ended up hitting the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, she's back with a new message and the just-published Good Enough, a cookbook, which embraces the joys of imperfection in and out of the kitchen. Which, and self-care. And self-care, which this is should, a very, it embraces me. But it's a really um, sort of a, an emotional journey of a cookbook. So well, I'm very so excited to talk to, talk to her about to it. Mm-hmm. shortly. Uh, Fido Garcia is the owner of Inca Social out in Vienna, Virginia. Uh, they just opened their second location in Roslyn, offering traditional Peruvian and Latin dishes with a special take on modern Nikkei. Am I saying it right? Yeah. I am saying it right. Fusion cuisine. Uh, it's a sushi ceviche bar. They got a large indoor uh, pisco sour bar. And actually, do you know what today getting, is? What today? It's not not Cinco tomorrow. De Mayo. No, <laughs> Sunday is not. Saturday is. Uh, it's pisco sour day, right? Sour. Yes. All right. All right. Okay. Whatever. Go ahead. And with Valentine's Day uh, really staring us in the face, uh, you're going to want to know about some special treats that are far from the ordinary. Chef mm-hmm. uh, Selassie Atadika is the founder and CEO and head chocolatier of Midunu. Uh, Midunu Chocolates. It's an all-female chocolatier uh, offering artisanal handcrafted chocolates made with Ghanaian, and that's Americans say Ghanaian, but Ghanaian, mm-hmm. uh, cocoa, along with spices and tea and candles. And they're beautiful. All kinds of cool stuff. We're going to be talking to Selassie as well. Mm-hmm. Bud Feist. Let's talk to Debbie Moser and find out what is happening at the markets. Uh, I think some people think, well, I can't go to the farmer's market. It's too cold and all the Produce will be frozen and all that, but that's not true, is it, Deb? No, no, no. We have a warm up. You know, I mean, you go outside; it feels like tropical now compared to last week. It's so. balmy out there. <laughs> it's balmy, but it is only nine days or eight days until Valentine's Day and so we Super Bowl wanna... Sunday. We've got a double whammy here, right? It's a double whammy, but I prefer Valentine's Day over the Super Bowl. Okay. You know, I know you men like the Super Bowl, too. Hey, I like the Super Bowl. That is sexist. I'm a girl. That is sexist. I'm suing. Well, it is. It is. It is. But um, actually, I like the Super Bowl, too, and I watch it. So this (laughs) year, you can do a double whammy. Mm -hmm. You can celebrate Valentine's Day and the Super Bowl, and yet you're loving going on both things. Wait, you're loving going. So come to the farm market. We've got... And you wouldn't believe this, but these are the, some of the things that you wouldn't expect to find at a farmer's market. Do tell. Charcuterie, mm. chocolates, oysters, fresh oysters on the half shell. Top it with a little caviar. We've got that too. Mm. We have vodka to go with your caviar. We have luscious steaks. We have lobster. And we have great Valentine's desserts. Wait, now, where are you getting honestly, your caviar from? Where's the caviar from? Uh, lobster mania. Oh, wait a minute. If we eat the oysters and drink the vodka, we're never going to get to the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's true. That's on you. Start out. Do it during the commercial break. (laughs) Enjoy the commercials. Right. 
so, Deb, <laughs> let's just tell people, because there's multiple ways to get access. I mean, obviously, you need to go to the market, but you can order all these things in advance, right? So you, you can go and schmy around the market and pick stuff up, or you can just go and it'll be ready for you. That's right. You can call, you can contact each vendor. All of their information is on our website. Contact each vendor. Put your lobster order in. Mm. Put, get Grab that bottle of uh, Butterfly Spirits Vodka. I mean, it's really good. And um, um, there are other the Butterfly Spirits that other elixir they do. That bottle is so pretty. It's such a it's good so gift. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's so elegant. Uh-huh. And it's just, I mean, you put all these things together and you will have a, a bang up of Valentine's Day. We're ready. Okay. Deb, tell everybody, please, where they can find you at Central Farm Markets. Sure. Centralfarmmarkets.com. You'll find everything there that you need. You have any questions, you can always contact us. Great. We'll Thanks, see you Deb. there. See you next week. All right. Okay, so bye. Also joining us today, and I probably should have mentioned her at the top of the show. She's going to kill me later. But is is world famous <laughs> lead bartender at Chef Danny Yato's uh, Slate Wine Bar, Betsy Bonilla. Hi, Betsy. Good Are you going to kill me? So, um, no. so, Betsy, you know, we were in Slate Wine Bar um, probably like three months ago. We were, we well, we actually had the Chiquette experience. And it was really... We should explain. Chiquette is Danny's... Uh, uh, well, it's all in one space. Yeah, it is. But it's like two separate things joined at the hip, right? Yeah. Chiquette's a great restaurant. It's, yeah, it um, but we were really fascinated by the beverage program at both spaces because there's an incredible access to amazing wines, and then a lot of creation in the cocktails. So tell us about the cocktail program at Slate Wine Bar. So the cocktail program um, was created pretty much just because we were trying to maintain like a nice high level Mm -hmm. of cocktails so that they're cocktails you can't just get anywhere in the D.C. area. You pretty much just have to come to Chiquette specifically or Slate Wine Bar Mm -hmm. to get the cocktails that we do produce. There's well, a lot of care that goes into them in the creation of them, mainly to match what we're trying but to But maybe we present. should talk about what's the sort of concept of Slate Wine Bar? What's the kind of food that you're serving? What's the kind of drinks that you're serving? Like, what's the inspiration behind what you're doing there? Um, it's it's influenced by Spanish, the Spanish background, Danny's hometown, where he's from. So he just wanted to bring a piece of home mm-hmm. back to the D.C. area so that everybody, so he can share where everybody that comes down to to partake in our and Danny's adventures. from Valencia, right? He's from Valencia, Spain, and mm-hmm. a little town called Denia. That's mm-hmm. where his family um, hails from. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to share that with the world. Well, you know, there's not a lot of Valencian uh, offerings here in the D.C. market. So what Danny is doing, I think people think of Spanish cuisine, they don't put it in the same sort of context as like Italian cuisine, which we know is very regional, but so is Spanish cuisine, right? It's incredibly regional. Yes, and it's very different. Every part of Spain that you go to, you get different types of food. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. I, I want to give a plug for Danny because I'm an instant gratificationist. Okay. Go to a restaurant, put the food in front of me. I want to eat it and go home. That was almost a three-hour experience that was so spectacular that even I didn't complain. So I mean, the whole, food is, And he complains I complain all the about time. everything. I mean, really all the time. I mean, the whole purpose behind when you go to Chiquette is you want to go through an experience. So we transport you out of the country and we want you to make you feel like you're living in Spain. Because you start off with, with a beautiful experience at the at the chef's counter, at the bar. Then you go and dine and you come right. back downstairs and you finish off with cocktails. Okay. Great. All right. What cocktail are you making for us first? We're going to start off with the Negroni. Yum. Okay. Yes. So. All right. While you make that, we're going to go to our we first We are going to start off with the amazing Leanne Brown. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Leanne. So just briefly again, she she self-published uh, her first cookbook, 
good and cheap, eat well on $4 a day. It, it, she got 15 million downloads, right? Ended up. And, and, <laughs> That's the free version. Yeah, the PDF Yeah, version. right, the free version. Yeah. <laughs> and then she self-published and, and ended up on the New York Times bestselling list. And now she's back with another cookbook called Good Enough, a cookbook. And we'll talk about it now. But, I mean, where did you come from? How did this all happen? <laughs> well, so it's a little, yeah, it started out as my thesis project for my master's degree, Good and Cheap, my other book. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did self-publish uh, through the Kickstarter platform. Okay, wait, but what but was your, I, what was the thesis? What I mean, was what, your what major? Were you, yeah, what were you <laughs> looking to do? In one form or another, it was called... Um, it had another name, but it became the cookbook Good and Cheap, which was mm -hmm. about eating well on a food stamps or snack budget, which is, it was at the time about $4 a day. It's a little bit more now, a little a bit tiny bit, more. right? Um, but yeah, so it was very much about budget cooking, but specifically this sort of that budget um, of $4 a day and, um, you know, sort of all the other barriers that that people who are are dealing with very little money sort of have to face and mm -hmm. trying to create something that was beautiful and appealing. And it was very much focused on trying to do as much as we can with what we have and finding sort of joy in that. Which I think is so important because I, I don't think a lot of people who especially are very privileged. I mean, here we are talking, you know, we're having Negronis in studio and I've, I've got all this gorgeous food here. Yeah, the I Negronis mean, cost yeah. more than $4. Right, exactly. Mm. So um, how difficult yeah. it is to eat uh, and eat healthy, nutritionally yeah. well. Yeah. But then you went and did Good Enough. And this is not, this is more of an emotional book. This is more yeah. about working through what's happening for you emotionally. Was this yeah. Was this because of the pandemic? Was it something you were already working on? Give us a little, how did the concept of good enough come up? Thank you for that question. It really did come out of a lot of my experiences with Good and Cheap because it was sort of a surprising success. Um, I got to meet with so many different people and so many more people than I ever would have expected. And over and over again, I was having this experience of people coming up to me and saying like, you can't help me. I'm just, I'm a terrible cook. Mm. <laughs> and yet, and yet at the same time, I was struck like, okay, you're saying you're a terrible cook and it's hopeless. And yet here you are at a food event and wanting to meet me and that you want to engage in this. And yet you're believing sort of something really negative about yourself. But and often the more I would speak with the person, they would say, you know, I, oh, I'm a bad cook because my kids reject my food or sometimes the food I make doesn't turn. It would often be, you know, these really innocuous and normal experiences. But don't you think every like home cook has. I have a lot of friends like I love cooking. I'm, I love to entertain. Yeah. I'm in the food world. Um, but like I have a, one specific girlfriend who is so recipe focused. And mm -hmm. I'm always and I always say, I'm like, <laughs> you can't screw it up. I'm like, what's the yeah. worst that happens? It tastes bad. Yes. Like, Okay, exactly. don't make it again. And yes, and I think there is, I don't know if it's a certain personality type or it's experience or whatever, but there is this tendency to focus so much on the outcome. Right. So if it isn't perfect, if it isn't sort of everything that's in your mind or everything that you're expecting it to look like from the photograph or whatever, then you've utterly failed and you've like wasted your time. Right. It's this really big deal. And it's just like, most of the time, it's not that deep. Um, and I think it's just, it's a bit of a misunderstanding, I think, of what home cooking needs to be. You know, there's so much pursuit of perfection, which is, you know, appropriate well. if you're a restaurant cook or if you're cooking for others. But when it's at home and you're cooking for yourself, I think that cooking is about 
self-care and self-acceptance and accepting yourself where, where you are, which sometimes means just like eating carrots and hummus out of the fridge. And that's really actually yeah, but it's don't, you think good. There, don't you think Nothing there's a difference? So yeah. when you're cooking for yourself and it stinks, you go, I'm going to slam it down right. anyways. If you're cooking for somebody else, then there's the, am I going to be judged? That's right. So there's a yes, difference. And that is such a fear for so many people. And I think, but we have to ask ourselves, like, why is it so frightening? Because most of the time, the people that we're cooking for are our loved ones, right. right? And so why is it so scary and hard? And I think it is for so many people, like across this culture, it is scary to make a mistake in front of others. There is that fear of being judged. But sometimes there's something about embracing that and owning that that can actually really invite intimacy. And there's a sweetness to it. Like when my daughter and I like drop something on the floor or like mess something up or try something weird, and it doesn't turn out that well, it can be kind of a sweet moment too. And we go like, okay, well, we tried something new. And okay, I just out. want to say for the record, when my daughter drops something on the floor, I'm like, oh my God, Tess, seriously? You know, so- when, when our daughter <laughs> drops something on the floor before the dog eats it, it's, it's did you have to drop All that right, on the floor? Leanne, we have to take a quick break. Um, this is David and Nikki Nellis, Foodie and the Beast. You do not have to be perfect in the kitchen. You just have to get in there and cook. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to the fascinating Leanne Brown, whose second cookbook is called Good Enough, uh, a cookbook, and it's about cooking, and it's about recipes, but, but it's, it's also it's about, also about self, self, um, self-care self care and self-worth and self-examination and but you got yeah. all very, the things I'm bad at. You got uh, very personal. <laughs> you got very personal in it. Me too, actually. You got personal in it. You know, I think yeah. you're writing in it. You really um, bared yourself. And I'm yeah. sort of curious what was happening for you that you felt the need to do that in conjunction with these great recipes. Well, so I mentioned earlier that I spoke with so many people, but really the reason that that struck me that other people were kind of struggling with the emotional side of cooking with sort of identifying too much with it, with judging themselves too much by it. I really saw myself in that. And so I started this project many years ago and I at first thought, oh, I'm going to tell other people's stories. And then the more I got into it, the more I realized, ugh, I have to tell my own story. That's going to be the most (laughs) sort of authentic way in. That's the way that I can express, you know, here's how cooking actually helps. Like, I just realized I had to be vulnerable and it truly just took me a few years to basically build up the courage. Let's talk about the recipes because (laughs) some of them are, you know, if you get back to the concept of it's okay to mess up, it can... And it can still yeah. taste good, even if it's, you know, ugly. Um, uh, I mean, you've got things in here that you listed that, you know, like the the creamy hands-off scrambled eggs might be hard yeah. to mess those up unless you cook them too hard. But, you know, they won't be they, they won't be creamy. But others that, you know, requ- do require some, some skill sets, uh, yes. the chili garlic and date butterfield, I can't even say it, butterfly, excuse question? me, What's roasted the question? chicken. Well, but some of these are, are tougher you know, it's hard to be compassionate right. with yourself if you blow the chicken and it tastes like sure. leather. Well, I think in some ways that also, though, is the moment. It's not about sort of making everything so easy all the time that you're not trying. I think we have days. I think the, a real life is full of days where, you know, sometimes you're going, gosh, I'm just going to eat butter toast. And another day where you're like, you know what? I'm going to try roasted chicken for the first time. I feel up for it. That never occurs to me, by the way. The fortitude. <laughs> Never. Building the fortitude to sort of handle it come what may, that even if you mess it up, you're still worthy. You know, like, I think that's a really important sort of journey for us to go on. I will say the one way that I really tried to make things simple for people is at the beginning of every recipe, there's a TLDR. Like, 
I've just opened up to the citrus refresher pasta. And so the TLDR means like it's a thing in the tech world. It's like a one or two sentence sort of explanation of a longer thing. So the TLDR for the pasta is zest and juice the citrus, mix with basil, olive oil, salt and cheese, cook pasta and toss with citrus sauce, topped with Romano basil and cracked black pepper. So it's like a mini version of the recipe that sort of makes it a little less intimidating to pop into it. Cause you can see like, oh, actually so much of cooking. I mean, even you said you feel scared about roasting a chicken. Roasting a chicken is literally like putting olive oil or butter or something It's all on about it, the fat. Putting it in the oven and waiting. Right. It's That's just it. fat. Oh, wait, you have to wait? No wonder. <laughs> so it requires trust. You know, you have to trust it's yourself and the, the recipe writer. But it really is that simple. And so that is sort of a way of easing people in. And then there's, of course, a lot more detail in the recipe itself. Well, let's talk about where um, the recipes come from. Did you make them all up or? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yes, they come from my own kitchen, my own experience. You know, I try to, the re the book is structured in this way where it's sort of like mornings, afternoons, evenings. And then the second half of the book is more about sort of eating and cooking during difficult times for sort of joy and excitement and for, for yourself and then for others. So sort of thinking about cooking more as a part of your life than necessarily as like appetizer Breakfast. That's interesting. So I, did you, uh, go ahead. Well, I also think um, what I love about the way the book is laid out in especially when we talk about cooking every day, you know, when um, there's a tragedy in somebody's life, mm -hmm. people bring food. Right. Yeah. So uh, but it's so important also to yeah. get into the kitchen to nourish yourself or your family, you know, whether it's amazing times or dark times, like being in the kitchen, being able to give yourself that comfort or the nutrition or whatever it is that you need. Um, I yeah. think there's a solace in that. Yeah. And I think it's something we've a little bit gotten away from like with cooking. It feels a lot of the time, like people are worried about their performance and not so much about what it represents, which really is self care. Mm -hmm. Like that it is, it is you literally the most important thing is that you care for your body no matter what. And then you accept yourself on those really dark days and maybe on the more joyful and expansive days as well. Be able to really like lean into it and be in the moment. I think you should have called this a Zen cookbook. Right. All right. So good <laughs> enough. Uh, Leanne Brown, Leanne, tell everybody please where they can find you on Instagram and where they can find the book. Oh, sure. Um, on Instagram, I'm Leanne E. Brown, mm -hmm. uh, just my name. And you can find the book anywhere books are sold. I would love it if you shopped at your local indie, of course, first. Of course. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you, Leanne. This is great. Okay. Um, Negroni, amazing. Well, I want to say about Betsy Bonilla something that's in her bio here. Okay, you were in the Air it. Force for 24 years. Yes, that's correct. And you're a great bartender. Did you ever fly schlunkered? <laughs> were you, you flying no. the planes or were you Seriously? just a passenger? I was a passenger. I just okay, flew a desk. Because I've flown a little lit up, but I never flew the plane. Right, exactly. That's right. the way to do it. Just checking. So what is it about the Negroni? Why pour that first today? So we recommend it with our slate menu that mm -hmm. we, you can start off um, for the first couple courses uh, with the Negroni just because it's more like an aperitif. helps open up your... Um, your appetite, mm -hmm. so you can keep moving. And then um, mainly also the Neg our Negroni is not your traditional Negroni, mm -hmm. where we um, have, we have so they're simple to make, but it's complicated all at the same time, mainly because of the fact that we start off with our gin blend. It's a blend of different gins. we got about four different gins in it. Our vermouth blend has about eight different vermouths, and our bitters has 
um, four different um, bitters in it. So it is not easy. It is complex. <laughs> this yes, is where ma'am. you have to have compassion for yourself. Right. If you... <laughs> okay, so we are going to go to our next guest. And actually, this the Negroni is perfect because it's opening up our appetite because uh, uh, Chef brought in so much food. So um, what are you going to make for us next? Next will be the Chiquet de Casa. Okay, what is it? It's one of our most popular gin and tonics. Oh, excellent. Okay, great. Uh, I will not be walking out of studio today. This is going to be so much. I'll fun. carry you. Okay, great. I'll Thank pour you, you out. Okay. okay. All right. So, Chef. Fido Garcia is the co owner of Inca Social in Vienna, Virginia. He's sitting next to me, which is unusual. We don't always have guests in here. And he's brought in his chef. I want to pronounce your name right. Is it Chufardi? Chufardi. I got it. Are you no, Italian? you said it wrong. He's a, he's a part of town. Part of town. You're the right part because it's your last name. <laughs> Alora. All right. So, and I mean, first of all, Fido. The idea of a, kind of a, a Peruvian heritage restaurant—it's uh, not the first, but it's there are not many of them in the area. Uh, what sort of what's the background on it? And you? So I'm uh, my parents are Peruvian. I was actually born in Puerto Rico, went back to Peru, came back to the states when I was young. So it's um, so I, I've I grew up with Peruvian food. I went back to Peru every year. Um, and what I experienced was the wonders of Peruvian food and not just the flavors, but how it brought family together, it brought friends together, and it was a real social experience every time we ate together. Um, but one thing that I noticed, I've always wanted to have a polleria or a chicken place, which in the future our group will probably do. But one thing I noticed is that everybody in this country would tell me, I love Peruvian food, I love your chicken. And I was like, yeah, it's like saying I love American food, I love your hot dogs. There's right, so much, it's kind of offensive, so, right? No, it's it's flattering, but it, it makes you know there's a lot more that you don't know about our food. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, hence the Inca Social. What we wanted to do was we wanted to show everyone in our community the beauty of Peruvian food outside of the chicken. That is so gorgeous. We, we purposely took away chicken, uh, but we have a grilled chicken, which is amazing. Um, so we... But can we talk about Peruvian food? Because it there's a lot of fusion. And I know fusion has been bastardized. Like people sort of be, like sort of walk away from fusion these days. But there is all these other cultures that have infused what's happening in the Peruvian food scene. And you are incorporating that at Inca Social, right? Yeah, I would be I would not be wrong if I mistook this for a presentation at a at a sushi restaurant. This is this is almost all fusion except for the causa. Can we talk about what's here so folks yes. who are listening and can't see Understand. it and aren't going to eat it? So, <laughs> it's a perfect it's a perfect door to, to the fusion. We have first the two sushi rolls. Um, we have the Virginia lovers in the close right there. Don't look over it. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, what we're doing with the sushi is sushi is something Japanese Nikkei is a, a term that we use. It's a Japanese fusion with Peruvian food. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peruvian food, like you said, is is pretty much fusion in itself. There's very authentic, but most of it's fusion. You take it a step further. What you see in Peru, and Miami, is the sushi. So you have the sushi, the basics, but then a lot of Peruvian flavor from the dressings to the ingredients that are used. Um, so you get a lot more flavor out of our sushi than I think you would at a traditional sushi. Um, then you have the Nikkei tacos, which is like a tuna uh, style uh, tartare cut up in the, the crispy tacos. Again, it's the way that the tuna is made is more of a Nikkei version with a little taco, which is a little Mexican fusion. So now right. we're kind of mixing it up a little bit and now going to the traditional dish, which is our causa. Um, and we wanted to bring our fusion causa, but I'll explain in a second. Causa, okay. what it is, it's a very traditional Peruvian dish. And it's uh, potato, mashed potato. You put salt, 
you put lime ahi amarillo, which is our yellow chili, mm-hmm. and you mash it up into, normally you make a cake, a layer of that, and then you put chicken, a veggie, tuna, and then you put another layer of, of so it becomes like a cake. Okay. Um, but what we're doing in most restaurants do to make it faster and easier because it's Because that would to, take a lot, of time, a lot of time, right? Yeah. So we make it into a ball and put the toppings on top. So you see one with shrimp, mm-hmm. with a ricotta sauce. You see on top the veggie, with the beets. You see the octopus, and then you see the chicken. Um, it's beautiful. Right. Well, so let me ask you about uh, where you decided to open up and educating the public on Peruvian cuisine. And when you're coming to Maryland. Okay, wait. So do you know what I mean? Because I I don't know how hard it is if everybody's like, well, I love Peruvian chicken. So so where we opened up, we actually wanted to be around a lot of Peruvian chicken. So Uh when you look at Vienna location, you're surrounded by Peruvian chicken. Oh, okay. And the idea there is you already have a, a Peruvian community, people going for what they think is Peruvian food. So when you're Googling Peruvian food near me, we can kind of have a cheat code there because uh-huh. we have people going there. So the first area was strategic in itself. Um, it's close to home where I grew up as well. Uh-huh. Um, and also we wanted to have the ability to, we were next to a metro, next 66, 495. So it was very oh, strategic. D- location, 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 location. Location, location, right? I would, if I were you, I'd check out the pur- new Purple Line station in Chevy Chase. Okay. Before uh, wait a minute. I want to know. We uh, have to take a break. Take a break? Yes, right. that's why I'm Let's come, take a break. All right, all right, right. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the bar scene and uh, the design because I know you put a lot into that. We did. This is David and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. Um, we are going out to Virginia for some Peruvian food. Or we'll they're be, bringing it to us. <laughs> we'll be back oh. in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking to Fito Garcia about Inca Social, which currently is in Roslyn in Vienna, but um, I'm not letting him out of the studio until it comes to uh, Chevy Chase or Kensington or somewhere out there. I want to know, how did you find Michael Chufardi, and, and how did all that work out? Michael's the chef, by the way, folks. <laughs> Michael's the chef. He's amazing, by the way. He is um, amazing. I just took one bite. Actually, I made these though. No, that's <laughs> bull hockey because I was back there. Okay. So the, ironically, we were in an event. Michael was working in a restaurant in Virginia, but he was getting ready to transition to a restaurant in New York. Oh. Uh, so he was getting pretty much picked up, uh, and we were doing a taste at Peru, and we were in the same meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, we had you could tell immediately the energy. He had a like-minded that me and our partners had a more of a modern approach to Peruvian food, and we wanted to really have everyone try it out, um, not just Peruvians, but everybody try it out. Right. So we hit it off really well there. Then we went, actually, me and one of my partners uh, went to Miami to try out some sushi, get some of the best restaurants, and Michael was like, try this place. I know the owner, try this place. So we were like, Michael, when we come back, we want to do an event with you. And he was like, let's do it. So was that event through a Taste of Peru? Because Taste, Taste of, of Peru. Peru is pretty prolific here in the D.C. market. Yeah. They're really spending dollars to educate people on Peruvian cuisine. It is Taste of Peru, and that's okay. where we first met. Okay, uh, cool. It's an amazing event. Uh, they do a great job really educating everybody in how yeah. they set it up. Plus, New York's so expensive. Why go there? Who's there? <laughs> that's what I told them. I was like, stay here. You know, huh. so when you I You can be a leaving, bigger fish in a smaller, uh, a smaller pond. pond. Well, I think we had like ideas. We wanted to grow the concept, promote Peruvian food. Uh, so he decided to stay with us. Mm-hmm. I told him we'll be partners and now we're partners and we're growing. All right. Talk about what the restaurant looks like, particularly uh, the new one in, in Roslyn. The new one, uh, Jen Naira, Naira is uh, our designer. Um, Interiors by Jen is her Instagram page and she's amazing. And what she did is we really want to capture Nazca, which is a place in Peru, which is 
Uh, pretty much it's, it's still ongoing. You find these huge lines in the ground that you see from space or from really high up that's like monkeys and animals and humans. So a- Aliens did that. I think so too, <laughs> you know. But the, so we have it like neon lights with grass. So we really want to capture the, the Machu Picchu feel, which is moss, greenery, wood, stone. You see that everywhere. The Incas really they worship the sun or gold, so we have gold lighting, gold or columns are gold. Um, the Nikkei is Japanese fusion, so you see a lot of cherry blossoms hanging from the ceiling, trees mm. around you. Um, so you have all these different aspects around you. You have an Incan environment. And wait, very, can I ask a question? Too. This one may sound silly. Is Chifa also is that Peruvian and Chinese, right? Correct. Right. It's so our, there's our Chinese fusion. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to make sure. I was like, wait, there's Japanese well, right and there's Chinese. Well, they're right next to each other. Maybe. I know, but I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like confusing areas. And what about the bar program? How did you decide about cocktails and what about wines? Um, so our how bar are you program, feeling that? So we definitely expanded our bar program that you actually just, we just started doing this. So you have more cocktails in Arlington. You have more wines in Arlington. Um, and it's because the Arlington crowd they love they love enjoying life and enjoying great drinks. Hey, Good way of we're not it. in Arlington. We still enjoy Maryland life. Maryland too. We're coming Just to Chase. Chase. I enjoy soon, what's left know? of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we should all enjoy life. So right. we really want. I mean, to, I'm drinking a Negroni, dude. Do you not I, see what's happening I, I here? I am too. Cheers. Okay. You know, good. <laughs> but that's what we wanted to do. So we wanted to put more more flavors. We wanted to. We have a Mexican mule. So not just pisco. We have a lot of pisco, but some tequila, some different uh, liquors mm-hmm. to kind of give you. A lot more flavor, and we're adding a lot of flavors from Peru, too. Like our chicha rum is our fruit punch made with purple corn, added rum. Uh, rum. Mm. Very refreshing, great for the summertime. I bet it's pretty. It's very pretty. It's purple. Right. So it, it takes good pictures if you guys want to do some pictures when you go there <laughs> okay. and visit us. You're like, I have an Instagram cocktail. Here. I want you to know that I have an Instagram cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, you can shake. That's fine. But it's, uh, um, and what about um, desserts, things of that nature? Like, let's give everybody the full experience. So desserts, Michael's done a great job, brought some other people on board. Oh, uh, I thought you were like, no, he's terrible. He does not do good desserts. <laughs> no, Michael's amazing. No, but the, he loves desserts more than I do. That's a joke. No, I love mm-hmm. desserts. But the desserts that we have in Arlington are, you always have three or four more than Vienna because we have extra pastry chefs there, too. Mm-hmm. So you can have a lot of fusion with desserts. We have a fruit called Lukuma which we have an ice cream. Now you have a cheesecake with lucuma, a tiramisu with lucuma, and it's amazing. It's what delicious. is lucuma? What is it? It's a, uh, como describes lucuma, Mike? Uh, it's the per, uh, Peruvian traditional fruit. It's okay. only, You can only find it in Peru. And it, can, um, is it, can you compare it to a fruit? What would you compare it to? Comparado con que? It's, it's, uh, it's really hard to compare. Okay. We should have brought some for you guys. I know. Well, that's okay. You have to come back. I have to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was <laughs> sneaky, but yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's got a lot of flavor. Um, it's a flavor I really can't describe. It's nothing like I've tasted here before. Is it okay. more like a pear kind of consistency or texture? I'm thinking like the texture is not. It's uh, it's like a chile muy. It's a different fruit that's from Peru. I'm yeah, say it in Spanish so we'll really right. understand. <laughs> Forget it. So it's more of like a pulpier pear. I okay. Guess that's okay. How, the best way to describe it. Cool. Well, now we have to go yeah. and check it out. All that. right. I mean, Thank you so much for coming in today and for bringing all this food and sharing your story. Uh, we cannot wait to check out Inca Social. Tell everybody, please, where it is on Instagram and where we can find you on the web. You can find us on Instagram at IncaSocial.com or, IncaSocial.com or at IncaSocial, both Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. Um, 
And it's at 1776 Wilson Boulevard in Roslyn, Virginia. Is a new one. Oh, good location. Excellent. Amazing location. Lots of trees. Not Chevy Chase, though. We got to come. No, no, no. no. Well, I'll forgive you for now, but next time we meet. It's coming. That's our goal now. All All right. right. So we're going back to Slate Wine Bar. And Betsy Bonilla. We got a lot of Spanish happening today. (laughs) I know. Which is very upsetting for my husband because he only speaks Italian. No, but I understand Spanish. Um, So, Betsy, when you're designing the program, uh, at Slate Wine Bar for the cocktails. Like, are you and Danny coordinating together on things? How does how does it all come to be? It's definitely a team effort. So we all work together just to make it happen. So it's mm-hmm. not just like a me and Danny thing. It's the entire team. Okay. If people have um, different opinions, different palettes. So we like to ask questions and get people's ideas and what they would like to see as well. And so when you're testing out cocktails and doing sort of a group, right? Um, are there... Th- are there Flavor profiles that are really important to you? Like, are you anti-sugar in drinks? you like a more dry drink? Like, what are you looking for in your finished cocktail? In the finished cocktail, more, um, more of a balance. Mm-hmm. So we don't have hardly any sweet cocktails because sweet, I feel like sugar just kind of destroys a cocktail if you put too much of it in it. Mm-hmm. There's already sugar, so much sugar in there. So. Well, that's how I feel. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But creating balance is not always easy. No, it's not. Not at all. And everybody's balance is completely different, too. So we just try to find something that's that's unique, that's universal, mm-hmm. so that everybody can enjoy. Great. Okay, mm-hmm. so what was this cocktail? This is a Chiqueta Casas, our take on um, our, the classic Spanish gin and tonic. Right. Okay. Yep. So, so before you pass it around, I know you're going to make us one more cocktail. Before we go to our next guest, what are you making for us next? Next is going to be the Benchy Daiquiri. Excellent. Ooh, a little bit of a daiquiri. Okay, great. All right, and now we're going to get into actual sweetness. We're going to get into chocolate. With Selassie Atadika. Are you there, Selassie? I am here. Hi, Hi Selassie. How are you? Good. I wish you were here with us here. drinking cocktails. That's right. There <laughs> she is. There you are. It's a lot right. more fun. What a show this is. So, Salasi, you're the founder, the CEO, and the head chocolatier. You've got three hats you wear mm-hmm. of um, Midunu chocolates, and you're an all-female chocolatier, which makes you exceptional. Well, she's a female no, but I chocolatier. Mean, is, the is team. That, does that yeah. mean your team is all-female too, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I figured you were all female. I mean, you know, but um, <laughs> yeah, and- so uh, yeah, I, I really wanted to work with um, women. Um, we produce the chocolates in Ghana and West Africa, where right. the world's best cocoa comes from. Mm-hmm. And, they're so pretty. Um, just, I just um, want to say for the record, yeah, they're so gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. They are pretty. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into making chocolates and why you created your business the way you did. Okay, um, I was born in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Grew up in New York and um, went back to Ghana about eight years ago. Started uh, trying to make food. Actually, before that, I was working with the United Nations, traveling around the continent. Did over 40, 40 countries in the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a terrible to... job. Terrible. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, I, I ate a lot um, <laughs> and uh, wanted to find ways to... Um, bring that experience into the food. And so chocolates was a fantastic foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you have sort of the base, which is chocolate that most people really love. And um, and then the spices that a lot of people don't know much about. And so I right. wanted to fuse those two together. Um, yeah, and that's kind of like the, the beginning of the story. Well, let me just ask quickly, because I don't know a thing about this. Is basic chocolate prep the same the world around before the spices are added and obviously the creativity with the you know with the mm-hmm. the printing the, on the top. printing and all of that I yeah. mean, does everybody who make makes 
chocolate starts kind of start off the same way? Um, yeah, some, some, yeah, the foundation is the same. I would say in Ghana, it's a little bit different. So um, in Ghana, we ferment the cocoa beans um, in plantain and banana leaves. So um, there are different ways. So once you get the beans coming off the trees, um, they are fermented. We use uh, banana and plantain leaves to ferment that. Well, that's and different. That's so, like wait, so what is, can you flavor. explain how that works? So how, do, how so, does yeah. that happen? Yeah. How do you do that? So there's a cocoa is a pod and mm-hmm. um, it comes from Latin South America. It found its way to West Africa. Um, and the pod is cut open. The fruit inside looks kind of like lychee, but inside is sort of the bean. Um, the fruit has sugar, so that needs to ferment. And um, that's placed in Ghana in the plantain and banana leaves for about seven days. Um, is it just wrapped process- up and then like buried or just wrapped up and like put in a corner? Yeah, so it's wrapped up. So like you would you would put the plantain leaves down on the ground. The fruit is opened on top of it and then a leaf covers it. And then they kind of um, add enough um, sort of weight to keep the leaf down. Okay. Um, it's done for three days. They open it up, mix it up again, cover it back up another three to four days. So it's a total of seven days for the fermentation. Don't it's you like think a, it's wild and, that somebody figured that out? It's like a kimchi of chocolate. Well, that, that one is actually, um, that's, I think, sort of the mysteries of the world. But that, that was um, a process developed in South America. So mm-hmm. and it's kind of the beginning of what we know as chocolate. But when you think about it and you look at these sort of lychee-like fruit, you're like, how did we get from that to chocolate? Yeah. You know? right. it's, it's kind of intense and crazy, but it, it happened. Um so you so continue from, that process as a part of how you make your chocolates. Well, we are chocolatiers. So um, as chocolatiers, we get sort of the coverture, which is um, the, how would I say it? Um, the finished coverture product. is sort of like the base of chocolate, but um, basically it's ground down. It's um, a little bit of sugar is added and it's processed. And then we have that product. If it's milk chocolate, there's milk in it. And if not, it's dark chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there, we um, wanted to tell a little bit more about the story of where the beans came from. And so um, as a chef also, I wanted to sort of bring in some of the the savory flavors. So some of the flavors are quite savory. Some of them are um, a little herbaceous. Um, and I wanted to just sort of play around with how we think of flavor. So, okay, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, let's talk about these flavors and how, mm-hmm. you know, just like we were talking about balancing in a cocktail, how you balance yeah. it with the chocolate. This is David Absolutely. and Nikki Nellis. It's Foodie and the Beast. It's so sweet in studio. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, and we're talking Midunu chocolates mm-hmm. with Chef Selassie Atadika. Did I do that right? Atadika. Atadika. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. What on. Just, say I'm, just say I'm sorry. I am sorry. Okay, there you go. And people always call me Mr. Miller, so I okay. guess it's okay. Um, but you are a chef. Um, you know, yeah. you think of chocolatiers, and you, you kind of think of the person sort of at the top of the operation and, and not involved in the nitty-gritty. Um, what is your involvement in the whole, basically, the, the preparation process, the cooking process? Yeah, I, uh, for my side, I really wanted to infuse um, the flavors that I kind of um, got to know around the continent into the chocolate. So um, most of the time, there are just random moments of inspiration that I get, whether it's you know walking by a specific tree or reminding myself or tasting something in a dish. Other times, it might be a, a fruit that I ate as a child that the American public actually has never tasted, as you know we had our colleagues from Peru um, showcasing some of these in, uh, ingredients. I just think that it's just um, these amazing things that we have, um, and I try to figure out how to make them and include them in the chocolate. 
So what are some of the flavors that we're bringing in? Let's talk about it. Like I have your beautiful chocolates here. What are some of the flavors that we have? So some of them are sort of more of the um, herbaceous flavors that we may know already. So if you've had Moroccan uh, cuisine at the end, there's a sort of like a mint green tea that you might have Mm -hmm. had. Um, So one of the truffles um, has that. The green one that you have on the end, it's actually Moringa. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Moringa. Mm -hmm. It's um, sort of like a, we call it the miracle tree. The tree has amazing antioxidants and different nutrients. Um, So I found the way to bring that into the chocolates. Um, You have there another one, which is um, with rooibos tea, a red Mm -hmm. um, tea from South Africa. So we start off the box a little bit more um, light. It's a, f- a bit of a flight, if you will. Right. And so you have the heavier flavors on the right-hand side. So we've got sort of like a, either a chili, um, which is a berry chili from Ethiopia. You would have maybe um, a, a deep, beautiful coffee mm-hmm. uh, with cardamom that you would get from Ethiopia as well. Um, there's another one in there that's got um, a West African spice called prekase. Hmm. Um, that's the local name that we have for it, which you probably may never have heard before. I think that there's no um, uh, English name for it, but there's a botanical name for it in Latin. So really the idea is um, how do we bring that in? That specific prekase is um, a tree that's actually at risk of being um, in areas of deforestation. So I wanted to highlight this tree to allow us to kind of bring more value to this tree and hopefully, you know, kind of make sure that people are less and less excited about cutting it down but want to preserve those trees. I've got a marketing slash education question for you. How are you letting people know? Because these are very special. These aren't your run-of-the-mill. Well, each chocolate chocolate has a story. Yes. Um, And um, that is included in the – there's a little booklet that has information about that. Um, And then we do share some of this information online with – on, you know, on social media and with our mm-hmm. newsletters, just so people um, continue to, to see that. Um, so the chocolates is also part of, you know, some of the work that I also do in other areas um, with savory food um, as well. But is it all direct to consumer or are you in retail stores as well? Currently direct to consumer. And hopefully as we move on this year, we're looking to get into retail stores. Ooh, that's so These exciting. are really special. Yeah, the they're story really special. Is, the story behind them is special too. All right. Thank you. Here's the, here's the big question. Of all of these, which is your favorite? Yeah, what is your favorite? Pick your child. I mean, when you're saying I can't eat too much chocolate because I'm going to, you know, be 500 pounds, but I'm going to eat something. But also, that these I aren't love. the only products. We didn't even talk about your, um, oh, yeah, your like chocolate mix, like a hot chocolate mix. Yeah, I've done a, a hot chocolate mix, which has a blend of five West African spices. Um, if you're look, taking a look at the box right now, there's one that's sort of in the middle. It's a square one. I, I really love that. It's one of my favorites right now. Um, it's got the precocity flavor that I mentioned, um, and it's got beautiful caramel, nutty, buttery okay. notes that kind Here of goes, goes really well with chocolate. It. Is it the one that is sort of striped? <laughs> it looks like it's got stripes on the top. Okay, that's actually a different one. There's um, the striped one that you have is... Well, Actually, a very one. interesting one. That one is um, using peppercorns because um, this oh, box is inspired by Zanzibar and East African flavors. I mm. love uh, mm. chocolate with mm. spicy and peppery flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like my drink spice. Like I like a little. I like a little spice. A, l- a little bit of spe- spice. A little bit of heat. A little bit of heat with everything is perfectly okay. Sometimes I eat something. Yeah. I'm like, you know what this can use. This could use a little well, bit. Well, I just ate your favorite. It's my favorite, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can we, we have about a minute left. Tell us about the chocolate blend. 
Yeah, so it's a drinking chocolate. It's a hot chocolate. Um, we've made it with dark chocolate from Ghana. We've literally taken chocolate and and shaved it down, um, mixed it with some spices from West Africa. Um, I love it because it's sort of floral. Mm-hmm. Um, as foodies, I think a lot of us have experienced so many different flavors, but it's something which you would not have experienced. Even the nutmeg that we're using is a West African nutmeg. The peppercorn is a, one comes from West Africa that most people haven't tasted. So it really takes you on a journey. Um, so that's, that's what I think kind of what people are looking for now and, Mm -hmm. um, it's winter. So it's something to keep you warm. Yeah, absolutely. So do you advise making it with milk or water? What's, what's the best way to create it? I would do it either with milk or a non-dairy. Um, you know, if, if you're vegan, you can use an an almond milk and nut milk, some kind of, um, or oat milk. Yeah. Okay, great. By the way, I've gotten a really nice sugar high. So thanks so much. <laughs> okay, uh, please, Chef, tell us where we can find all these beautiful chocolates uh, online and on Instagram. Absolutely. Midunu Chocolates, M-I-D-U-N-U, chocolates with an S dot com. Excellent. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us oh, this morning. Thank you. I know. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks. They're so pretty. All right. All right, Betsy. Betsy I know you're Bonilla. ready to shake, but we're going to wrap step, up the show. So just shake. Step up go ahead, shake for a couple sacks. All right, so we have about two minutes left. So if we're coming into Slate Wine Bar or Chiquette, you're behind the bar making cocktails for both things. So like when we went to Chiquette, we were greeted with a cocktail and it was kind of like um, a Granita-y cocktail. It was like slushy. It was. Um, You're like, yes, it was. I know, I made it. Um, (laughs) So can you tell us a little bit about like that greeting cocktail and why that's so important to the Chiquette experience? As I stated earlier, what we try to do is pretty much emulate what they do in Spain when people go out and they go to the bars. Mm-hmm. Prior to going to dinner, they go ahead and have like a cocktail and some tapas. So that's what we try to do. So right. we start off with the with our welcome drink, mm-hmm. which is our little Agua de Valencia. And it's got a little bit of gin, a little bit of vodka. And at the current moment, we're using blood orange. Wait, that went by fast. Agua de Valencia. Agua de Valencia. Wa- Valencian water? Yes. Sure. Okay. He can translate. Okay. He, he can translate. He's got it. <laughs> yep. And then we just top it off with a little bit of cava. And it's supposed to be an aperitif as well, just to open up um, your appetite, get you ready for... It gets mm-hmm. you right away. Yes. Yeah, so we're all about drinking and eating. So for people who haven't been, so Slate Wine Bar and Chiquette are all in the same space. Yes. And Slate Wine Bar is really sort of at the front, Right. Well, it's actually yes. the first, uh, it's the bottom floor. So we have the front and the back. Okay. So right in the middle is the chef's counter, mm-hmm. and that's where Chiquette guests begin their meals. Mm-hmm. And then for people who haven't done Chiquette, because it is a very special experience, Valentine's Day people, make your reservations. Absolutely. Um, Can we spell Chiquette for people so they know? Chiquette, X-I-Q-U-E-T. Yeah, that's correct. Just like it sounds. Okay, so what's this last cocktail you're shaking up? Uh, the pinchy daiquiri is actually perfect because it's going to go well with your chocolate. Oh, great. So tell us about the daiquiri. It's, um, so one of, our, one of our captains actually helped create this cocktail. So she wanted to bring a little bit of her homeland, which is Puerto Rico. So we added a little bit of, made it, created a pineapple shrub to go with it mm-hmm. and a little bit of smokiness to add to our smoky kitchen and top it off with um, some black cardamom. Love it. So yes, your kitchen enjoy. is definitely smoky with that gorgeous open yeah, fire that, that flame upstairs. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, just quickly before you pass it out, tell everybody where they can find uh, Slate Wine Bar, the address, and where we can find you online and on Instagram, please. So Slate Wine Bar is on 2404 Wisconsin Avenue. It's in Glover Park. Mm-hmm. You can find us online at Slate Wine Bar. Um, 
on Instagram. So follow us if you guys want to hear all the recent news. And we have a lot of new things coming in. And we are also doing a Valentine's Day special menu. Mm -hmm. So along with Chiquette, we are doing something special. So please come see us and we'll be at the bar waiting for you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today. And we want to thank everybody in studio. And Just look at what's here. I mean, the beautiful and delicious sushi. Thank you. Isn't that gorgeous? Chocolate. Mm-hmm. Okay, Booze. I have to wrap up the show. Oh, no. Let's yeah. just keep eating and yeah. talking. Okay. Uh, so we want to thank all of our guests and all of you for joining us uh, uh, for this show today. There's so much deliciousness happening in the city. Uh, lots of new restaurants are opening, and uh, lots of old places are doing amazing things. Obviously, you can find all of that on the list, areyouonit.com, or follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Of course, you can also hear my other show, Industry Night, on Real Fun DC, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Most importantly, though, when you take your bods out to go out, as you should, please wear a mask, please be vaccinated, have your vaccination card, because they're going to ask for it. And remember, take your kindness pills, because it's tough out there, especially in the hospitality industry. So thank you again for joining us and please have a delicious week.